chapter 13, which I believe is on page 1673 of the Church Bibles. I'll give you a few seconds to find that while I log on to my electronic device, which I can control the font on. Okay, John chapter 13, verse uh, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished Washing their feet, he put on clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so when it does happen, you'll believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was very troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to that disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was ever needed for the festival or go give something to the poor. 
As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Thanks, Lane. Keep your Bibles open to that um, passage. We're going to have a look at that this morning. Uh, But before we do, uh, please uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word now, uh, open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear it. Uh, Please change us by it. Uh, Convict us by your spirit. Work powerfully uh, in us uh, through your spirit who you've given to us. And help us to know what love is and how to love each other. And we pray this for your glory's sake. Amen. Uh, We live in a day and age where there's a lot of confusion about love. It almost seems as though no one really knows what it means um, or what it is. When you listen to songs on the radio, it seems as though every artist has their own impression of what, what love is. Ask five people what they think love is, and you get five different answers. Uh, And then you get the countless stories of teenage daughter bringing home a guy and dad doesn't like him, so she says, but I love him, daddy, and dad goes, you don't know what love is. That kind of thing. So what is love? And what does it look like to love someone, anyone? Not just a lover, but anyone. But more importantly, how do we love each other here at Southside? Because here's the thing, I'm pretty sure we should. Like, I'm pretty sure God wants us to love each other. That's probably pretty high on his priority list of things that he wants us to do. And knowing the answers to these questions is really important. Because, well, for one thing, we're about to move into a new building. And as I mentioned before, we're about to do a public launch. And the question is, Will people come and will they think to themselves, is this a community? Will people think to themselves, this is a community of people who really love each other? Uh, Will that be obvious to them? So what is love? Uh, Well, in John chapter 13, which we're looking at today, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And in doing so, he teaches his disciples what love is and how to love each other. Love is humbly serving others. Love is sacrificially putting others' needs above our own. Love is active. It's doing what's best for others, not just saying kind words or feeling warm feelings or thinking nice thoughts. And Jesus teaches his disciples all of this 
not by giving them a lecture on love, not by pulling out a blackboard and giving them three dot points on what love is, um, not by giving them a magic formula to follow. Jesus teaches his disciples what love is and how to love by loving them himself, by literally getting his hands dirty and washing their feet uh, and setting them an example to follow. So as we look at this passage now, and as we look at how Jesus taught his own disciples how to love, it's worth us reflecting on how we can learn from Jesus ourselves and how we can learn to love each other here at Southside. So if you've still got your Bible handy, open up John chapter 13. We're going to go through the whole chapter. Uh, But first, let me set the scene here. Jesus has spent the last three years of his life in ministry, itinerant ministry, traveling around, teaching in parables, healing the sick, driving out demons, performing miracles, and he's just entered Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, We looked at that last week, and now, chapter 13, it's just before Passover, which is the traditional meal that the Jews celebrated every year to commemorate their rescue from Egypt, and Jesus knows that it's time. It's time for him to leave this world and go back home to dad. It's time for him to die. Have a look at chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. It's time for Jesus to die. Uh, But also, it's time for Jesus to show his disciples the greatest love that the world has ever seen. And it's also dinner time. And it's also time for Jesus to be betrayed by one of his own disciples. And this is a satanic betrayal. Have a look at verse 2. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now, was Jesus surprised by this or unaware of this? No, this is all in God's control and plan. Have a look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So that's the scene. Jesus is at the end of his life on earth. He's now got a few precious moments left with his disciples not much time left to teach them much more so what does he do he does something pretty strange something pretty unexpected something that even shocks his own disciples something that maybe even disturbs them he strips down to his undies essentially wraps a towel around him and he washes his disciples feet drying them with the towel that he's wearing. Have a look at verses 4 to 5. He got up from the meal. Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, it's easy to, it's easy to miss how crazy this was. Back in Jesus' day, washing someone's feet was a pretty low job like this was lower than cleaning toilets if you had a servant you wouldn't even get your servant to wash your feet 
Um, the main form of transportation back then was walking uh, and people wore open sandals and they walked on muddy, filthy, horse poo covered roads. So everyone had filthy, disgusting feet. And even Peter, the Apostle Peter, knew how low and humiliating and disrespecting foot washing was. Look at how he reacts, verses 6 to 8. Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Peter almost feels like it's wrong for Jesus to wash his feet. It must feel pretty back to front to him. Jesus is his master. But more than that, he's the promised Messiah. He's the king of the universe. Peter knows that, if anything, he should be washing Jesus' feet. In fact, he should be giving Jesus daily pedicures. So when Jesus comes to Peter to wash his feet, Peter refuses. But how does Jesus respond? Verse 8, Jesus responds, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, this is weird. This seems like pretty serious consequences for dirty feet. Uh, and when Peter hears this, he's a bit shocked. He suddenly changes his tune. He asks for a whole bath instead. Verse 9, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, my hands and my head as well. But then what, is, what does Peter do? Well, what does Jesus say? He gets a... Peter gets a cryptic response from Jesus. Verse 10, Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Now what's going on here? This is a bit confusing. What's Jesus talking about? Why is he stripping down? Why is he cleaning feet? Well, two reasons. Firstly, because it's symbolic of the cleansing that he's about to do on the cross. And secondly, it's an example of what he wants his disciples to do for each other. So, so firstly, the cross. The act of foot washing points ahead to the cross. Peter, Jesus tells Peter in verse 7, you won't understand what I'm doing now, but you'll understand later. Because after Jesus dies on a cross in, verse, in chapter 19, the disciples will understand this perfectly. By washing his disciples' feet, Jesus is showing them what the cross is all about. It's about cleaning people. Not cleaning people from dirt, but cleaning people from sin. Not cleaning people on the outside, but cleaning people on the inside. Cleaning people from all their guilt, from all the shameful things they've done washing them away that's what the cross is about and it's not a mistake it's not a it's it's not a tragedy even though it looks like it it kind of looks like jesus has been unwittingly betrayed by one of his disciples and crucified unfairly which he was but actually this was all orchestrated by god as a giant act of love to clean people from their sin. And that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. Now, what do we make of Jesus' cryptic response to Peter in verses 10 and 11? Well, in a weird sort of way, uh, the cross has already cleaned all the disciples, except Judas. The cross 
cleaned everyone who looked forward to it and trusted in God. And the cross cleans everyone who looks back at it and trusts in God today. That's how the cross works. It works backwards and forwards. That's why Jesus says to Peter, and you are clean, present tense, though not every one of you. All the disciples, except Jesus, Judas, Judas, were already retrospectively clean because of the cross. The only cleaning they needed now was the ongoing cleaning you need for ongoing sin. And it's the same today. As Christians today, because of the cross, we've all had a bath, metaphorically speaking. Um, But even though we're clean now, our, our feet still get dirty, so to speak. Uh, we don't stop sinning when we become Christians. Uh, we continue to need our feet to be cleaned. We continue to need ongoing cleansing by Jesus, ongoing forgiveness and purification by Jesus. And that's why Jesus says to Peter, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. It's metaphorical language and it's pointing to spiritual realities. So Jesus is cleaning Jesus cleaning his disciples' feet is symbolic. It's symbolic of the spiritual cleaning that he's about to do on the cross. But also it's an example. It's an example of what he um, it's an example that he wants them to follow. Have a look at uh, verses twelve to seventeen. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus really wants to make sure his disciples get this. He's not washing their feet because he's their slave. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that's what I am. He's washing their feet as their master, as their Lord, as their teacher. This, this is called humility. Humility is lowering yourself for the sake of others, taking yourself from a high position to a low position to help other people. And by doing that, Jesus is setting his disciples an example to follow. Verse 15, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. And this is what love does. Love doesn't try to trample on others to get to the top. Love puts itself on the bottom to help others. Love puts itself last, not first. And the disciples don't seem to naturally have this attitude. The other gospel writers, they record this one time that the disciples were in an argument about who was the greatest. Like All the disciples naturally wanted to be first, the best, the greatest. And certainly not a lowly foot washer. When I was a little kid, uh, I used to do gymnastics at the YMCA in Mount Omni. Kind of embarrassing to admit that. Um, every time we traveled, <clears throat> traveled, every time we were doing our exercises in the big gymnasium, I suppose you'd call it, 
It was quite a large one, so we'd do a bit of things on this piece of equipment over here, and then we'd need to go to the other side of the gymnasium to do something over there. And the teacher would always have us line up in a line to go from one thing to the next. Um, and every kid wanted to be first in line. Like, you'd, you'd all be fighting to get to be the first because, you know, that meant you were the leader. Felt good. Everyone followed you. You were the best. But sometimes the teacher would get sick of, you know, the two or three kids who were fighting for the first place in the line and she would do a trick. She would turn the whole line around so that the person who was at the front would be last and the person who was last would be first. Quite biblical, really. Um, the funny, it's funny the effect that that had because then the kids were trying to be last in line. You know, you first. No, you, you. I insist. Now, what's our attitude at church? Is, is it our ambition to be last? To humbly serve others? To lower ourselves like Jesus did? Or do we aspire to be at the top? To be the most important people at church? Uh, to be in positions where people can see us and see how great we are. What would it look like at church if we all made it our goal to do the hardest, most boring, most unattractive, most invisible jobs that no one wanted to do out of love for each other? What would that look like? Now, why would we do that? Because that's what Jesus did. He aimed for the lowest spot, not the highest. Now, up to this point, we have a pretty good picture of what love looks like from what Jesus has done for his disciples. But now, at this point in the passage, we get, we get a picture of what love doesn't look like. It's a picture of betrayal, a picture of Judas. Have a look at verses 18 to 30. Jesus says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said to him, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus, Jesus answered, it's, it's the one whom, to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread... He gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Jesus warns his disciples here that he's going to be betrayed in accordance with prophecy for a couple of reasons. Partly because he wants his disciples to know 
that his upcoming crucifixion isn't a mistake, it's an act of love. But also, he wants his disciples to know afterwards that he knew about it the whole time. Because he really was the Son of God and he was in control of the whole situation. But if you, if you take a step back from all of that, you can, see, you can see the whole picture. You see, Jesus is just about to sacrifice himself for his friends. But Judas is about to sacrifice his friend for himself. Jesus is about to sacrifice himself for his friends, but Judas is about to sacrifice his friend Jesus for himself. John is showing us here what love looks like, but also what love doesn't look like. And we learn in the previous chapter that Judas only cared about himself. Uh, Flick back a page to John chapter 12. Have a look at verses 3 to 6. Um... This is Mary Magdalene. She's cleansing Jesus' feet with very expensive perfume. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But how does Jesus react? One of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Sorry, this is verse... Um, yeah, this is in verses 3 to 6. Uh, verse 4, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, it seems as though Judas actually cares about poor people here, but John, the writer of this book, goes out of his way to comment on why Judas said this. Have a look at verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas is Mr. Moneybags. Out of the 12 disciples, he's the treasurer. And he's a thief. He helps himself to the kitty whenever he wants. He helps himself to the Jesus ministry fund. And to make a bit of extra money, he goes to the chief priests and he tells them where Jesus is for 30 pieces of silver. And he betrays him. He only cares about himself and he puts his needs first, not others. And this is where we learn our second lesson by Jesus on what it means to love. Love is sacrificially putting others' needs above our own. Love is giving up our time, giving up our money, our rights for other people. Love is taking the hit for someone else, paying the damage for their mistake. That kind of love is what Jesus did for his disciples in washing, his, in washing their feet. That kind of love is what Jesus did for all of us in dying on the cross. And it's the opposite of what Judas did for Jesus. Now, we can do a Judas in our own lives too, can't we? We can use people sometimes. We can throw them under the bus in order to get ahead rather than sacrifice ourselves, sacrifice our time and money to help others get ahead. And that's the opposite of what Jesus is talking about. The Apostle John writes in his letter in, in 1 John 3.16, this is how we come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, what does that look like here at church? It looks like taking time out of our busy weeks to get to know people here. Even people 
this is the crazy bit, even people we don't necessarily like. Spending time with them, caring about them, practically helping them with any needs that they have as they arrive. Rather than just going, I don't really like this person, so I'm just going to avoid them forever while I'm here at this church. Or, oh, this person has needs. This is way too much effort. I'm out of here. I'm out. I'm out. No, that's not what love is. Love is sacrificial. And it's not just sacrificial to the people you like. And here's the thing about this kind of love that we're talking about. It's not optional. Jesus commands his disciples to do it. And if we want to call ourselves disciples of Jesus, we're commanded to do it too. But Jesus also gives the motivation to love as well. Have a look at the next few verses in this chapter. Verse 31. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus is talking about his moment of glory here when he, when he dies on a cross. And then he gives his disciples the command. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the crux of the passage. This is why Jesus washes his disciples' feet. This is the command that comes out of the foot washing lesson. Love one another. Now, what makes it a new command? It's a new command because of the motivation behind it that wasn't there before. Love was in the Old Testament law. So the command isn't new in that sense, but, but there were severe penalties for not loving each other, death penalties even. So the old command was love one another or else, but here Jesus gives his disciples a whole new command because it's got a completely different motivation behind it. Love one another because I've loved you. We love because we are first loved. John, John phrases it another way in his letter in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our motivation to love each other primarily is that we've been first loved by God. I was explaining this to a flatmate of my cousin in Sydney earlier this week. She grew up in a strict Catholic school and um, she felt like everything was driven by rules, which it sounded like it was. It sounded like a pretty horrible experience as she was describing it. But I was trying to explain to her, actually true Christianity is different. It's not I obey God, therefore he loves me. It's God loves me, therefore I obey God. That's our motivation to love. We've been loved first. But there's also another motivation as well here in verse 35. 
By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is pretty basic stuff, isn't it? But it's also pretty counterintuitive. The world will know that we are Jesus' disciples if we love one another. Now, we don't often think like this, do we? It will be tempting as we move into our new building in a few weeks' time, as we run our fun public launch day, to think to ourselves, we can let the world know about Jesus by running fun events or really good kids' programs or if we have great sermons from the front. Now, we're going to do all those things, but is that what Jesus says here? No. He says, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. On public launch day, it won't be the fairy floss or the jumping castle or whatever else that will show people that we are Jesus' disciples. It'll be us there on the day, humbly, sacrificially loving and serving each other. Now, there's one more thing about love that we can find in this chapter. And again, like Judas, we can see it when we contrast Jesus' love, this time with Peter's love. Uh, Love is active. It's doing what's best for others, not just saying kind words or feeling warm feelings or thinking nice thoughts. Uh, But Peter's love is more talk than it is action. Have a look at these last three verses in this chapter. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow now? I'll lay down my life for you. Verse 38, then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Peter says that he'll die for Jesus. But he ends up denying him three times. And the ironic thing is that that Peter is the most enthusiastic disciple out of the lot. He's usually the first to speak. When Jesus walks on water, he's the first to jump out of the boat and try walking on water himself. He seems really passionate. But then a few chapters later after this one, he denies Jesus in pretty pathetic circumstances as well. It's not like he's in a torture chamber and about to cut off his right arm. You know, after Jesus gets arrested, a little girl asks Peter, Hey, weren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And Peter immediately goes, Nope, never met the guy, swear on my mother's grave. Three times denied. Isn't that incredible? And so here we get our final picture of what love isn't like compared to Jesus' love. Love is active. It goes deeper than words and nice sentiments. And this is how Jesus loved. Jesus didn't just love in word or thought, but in deed. He didn't just act loving, he acted in love. And sometimes at church, we fool ourselves. I fool myself. And I think to myself, yeah, I love the people at church. I'm nice to them. I engage in polite conversation. I even enjoy being around some of them. Sometimes I even... You know, hang around after church and talk to some of them at morning tea. But that's not love, is it? Love is so much more than that. And deep down, we all know it. Wrapping up, what is love? 
Love is humbly serving others. Love is sacrificially putting others' needs above our own. And love is active. It's doing what's best for others. Not just saying kind words or feeling warm feelings or thinking nice thoughts. And the human heart is not good at this stuff. It's hard, it's counterintuitive, and we all struggle to love well. And we all need to be forgiven for the ways in which we haven't loved well. But we should love one another. We must love one another. Because as Jesus' disciples, he commands us to love one another. But he also gives us the motivation to love one another. By loving us first. By humbly, sacrificially and actively loving us by dying on a cross for us and setting an example for us. And by loving each other, the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. Let's pray. Father, loving each other is hard and we need your help to do it. We need your Holy Spirit. But we know that we are not made right with you because of our love. This is love, not that we love you or that we love other people, but ultimately that you love us. Please help us this week as we go out from here to reflect on the cross, to reflect on the incredibly great love you have for us. And may that drive us to show that same love to each other. We pray this for your glory's sake. Amen.